Friends, Psalm 138 says that God has exalted above all things his name and his word. And when we come together and we exalt his name and we hold on to the authority of his word, then we can anticipate that God will come and do great things among us and through us. You know, when the apostle Peter was about ready to die, uh, and he writes one last letter to the church, Uh, He says in that book, he says, I know that God has told me that I'm about to leave this life. But as long as I'm here, I want to share uh, some important things with you so that you'll remember this uh, when I'm gone. And that's our scripture lesson for this morning as we continue our study uh, on the life, scripture in the life of God. Uh, This morning, uh, Sarah Scott has taken our uh, scripture lesson and has memorized it and is going to come and share with you uh, this morning's scripture lesson uh, from 2 Peter. All right. Um, I said in the first service that I really suggest that you all do this sometime. It's kind of cool to memorize scripture and say it over and over and over and over because when you do that, you start to see even more than when you, you know, you look back at a scripture you've read before and you notice something new. It's like that, concentrated. So I got a lot out of this scripture and it spoke to me a lot because I'm a teacher and well, this is is Peter's last-ditch effort to try and get people to really understand um, the importance of Scripture, the importance of the message that he had sent to them the whole time. Um, So it sort of made me feel like, well, reminded me of me right before state exams. Okay? At that point, I have to communicate to the kids that they have to use the question and the answer. They have to read all the possible choices and eliminate two before they choose one. And they have to write more than just a couple paragraphs on those extended responses. Because when the test actually begins, I can't say anything to them, even though I see what they're doing. All right? I can't say anything. So whatever I leave them with, they've got to carry through with what we say. So... I'm going to do my best not to give you the abridged version of what Peter said, but here goes. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the coming and power of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. For he received glory and honor when the voice came to him. From the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And we have, and we were with him there on Mount Sinai. When, there on the mountain, sacred mountain, when he said these words. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain Sorry. (laughs) And we have the word of the prophets made more certain. And you would do well to pay attention to this. As to a light shining in a dark place. Before the dawn breaks and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation, 
For prophecy never came from the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Thank you. Friends, it is true. There is so much power uh, when you memorize Scripture. And if you would like to attempt that sometime, if you just let me know, I'd be happy to give you a Scripture text that's uh, several weeks out, so you have time to work on it. But isn't it a blessing to hear people uh, share the Scripture from their heart? Uh, So thank you, uh, Sarah. Now, we're all working on one scripture together for the month. It's a five-Sunday month, uh, so we have an extra day to work on it. And I hope uh, that you've committed that uh, scripture to memory. Will you stand and say it with me from 2 Timothy 3? All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God... For every good work. Second Timothy three, sixteen and seventeen. And now let's pray together our church prayer. Father, unleash the power of the Holy Spirit to bring spiritual breakthrough in my life, in our church family, and in our community. Fill us with humility, unity, and passion. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. And may the name of Jesus be held in high honor in all that we say and do. Amen. Well, let us pray. God, as I uh, spoke that prayer this morning, I thought about our country and even this last week and how important it is to pray that we would uh, be filled with humility and unity. Father, we confess that... uh, When we look at our world and our politics and so many things, we don't see much humility. And God, we don't see much unity. God, we see people wanting to uh, lift up their own opinions and their own agendas. And Father, we see political parties just uh, fighting with one another without humility. And so Lord, today we ask that there might be humility. And Father, uh, today we ask that there might be unity And unity, even in our denomination, as I talk today about the strife and even the the growing divide in our congregation, we or in our denomination, we pray that there would be humility. And God, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. And that the name of Jesus will indeed be held in high honor. So speak to us today through your word. And we just ask that in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Friends, if you're visiting with us today, I want you to know that today's message uh, really addresses an in-house matter as we talk about uh, some of the division that is happening in our denomination of United Methodism. But I trust that all of us uh, will glean uh, from this scripture text and what Peter wants us to hear about the Word of God. Friends, Jesus isn't God. Jesus didn't die for our sins. Jesus wasn't killed instead of us. There isn't a hell other than the ones we create here on earth. Going to heaven after we die is not what the faith or salvation is about. 
God didn't write the Bible. There isn't going to be a rapture. Jesus' resurrection didn't have to be understood as a physical one for it to be real and a meaningful one. Homosexuality isn't a sin. Christianity isn't the only way for humans to experience salvation. Friends, would it bother you if that's what I believed as a pastor? You know, that was written earlier this year by a United Methodist pastor, an ordained elder uh, who's working at a Wesley Foundation in a state college. This is what's being taught to our college kids. And it's simply a reflection of what's happening both in our culture and in our denomination. There appears to be a growing division. And even though human sexuality uh, gets all of the news, what I want to share with you today is that the root of the divide is much deeper. And the root of our division comes back to this book. And is the Bible going to be our authority? You know, when Peter, again, uh, is about to die, and he writes this last letter, the one thing he wants to emphasize to the church is the one book. You know, that's the title of the last chapter in the a book we've been going through by Dr. Watson. One book and the life of God. And so I want to share three things about this one book today, beginning with that it is one book of history, of actual history. You know, Peter begins there by saying, we didn't follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power of of the Lord Jesus. Evidently, in Jesus' day, as today, there are those who look at the Scripture as cleverly invented stories. Remember last week we looked at Thomas Jefferson and and took a look at his Bible where he literally took scissors and cut out all of the miracles. All of the healings of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, he literally cut them out of his Bible. Even the resurrection of Jesus, he cut out of his Bible. Because he believed they were just cleverly invented stories. And what I want to share with you is that is the root of our current crisis in the United Methodist Church. That there are those who have disregarded the authority of the Bible. Now let me tell you where that began. Uh, Roughly about a hundred years ago, Uh, our seminaries and some of our pastors began to buy into a new way of looking at the Scriptures. And it was coming to us primarily from some German theologians uh, who were believing that the Scriptures were just stories. And primary among them was a man named Rudolf Boltmann. And any seminary student today reads Rudolf Boltmann. Uh, Here's a a synopsis of what he believed. He says, We cannot use electric lights and radios, and in the event of illness, avail ourselves of modern medical and clinical means, and at the same time, believe in the spirit and wonder world of the New Testament. 
In other words, we have progressed far beyond believing that the stories in the Bible are true. You know, as you read Dr. Watson's uh, chapter for this week, uh, he says, Boltmann believed the worldview of the New Testament, one in which people were miraculously healed and angels and demons existed and people got up from the dead, was simply unbelievable. He called this a mythical worldview. And friends, what happened when our seminaries began to teach that kind of theology, they sent out pastors that would stand in front of churches and begin to preach that the stories in the Bible can't be trusted, and therefore we have no expectation that God will do the same things today. You know, in his book, uh, the rise of theological liberalism and the decline of American Methodism, uh, James Heinegger uh, just takes that and explains how in the last hundred years, the church has moved from being a solid biblical foundation to embracing this new theology, and it has led to a loss of power in the church. You know, I wonder what Rudolf Boltman would uh, say about this text that I received from one of you this week. Remember last week we talked about standing on the promises of God and that we can believe that if God did something in the Scriptures then He can still do it today? Somebody sent me this text on Tuesday. It said, hi Aaron, I've had migraines since I was 10 years old. I've spent more time in bed sick. I couldn't stand light, noise, or smells. I spent three or four days a week like that. One day in church a couple of years ago, I was in the back of the church and you walked by and asked me how I was. I said I had a migraine and you prayed for me right there. After a while, I began telling people that I must be outgrowing my headaches And then she said, it took me until last Sunday when you were praying for everyone to remember two years ago. I know God heard your prayers. I can't believe it took me that long to put it together. Thanks for your prayers and praise God for answering. I still have regular headaches, just not migraines. Do you hear that, friends? Migraines since being 10 years old. And in an instant, God heals her. Why? Because that's the kind of God He is. That's the kind of God we read about in the Scriptures if we take the Scripture as our authority that what God has done in the past, God will still do today. I fully anticipate that we will hear stories of miracles from some of you who stood up last week and said, I'm going to stand on the promise of God. And I hope when God does miracles, Miracles that you'll come and share them with us so that we can celebrate with you. You see, the problem that we have in the United Methodist Church and in even in our culture is that we've moved away from believing the Scriptures. We've moved away from what even our founder of the Methodist Church, John Wesley, told us. 
Uh, He said very clearly, the scripture, therefore, of the Old and New Testament is a most solid and precious system of divine truth. It is a fountain of heavenly wisdom, which they who are able to taste it prefer to all writings of men, however wise or learned or holy. And friends, that was the problem. In an attempt to appear wise and learned, in an attempt to to appear current, some of our pastors began to accept uh, this uh, way of looking at Scripture that disregards it as our authority. No, but Peter, he makes it clear. When he writes, he says, I'm not telling you cleverly invented stories. I mean, look at what he said. But we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. He says, I saw it with my own eyes. I spent three years with Jesus. I saw Him heal people. I saw Him walk on the water. I saw Him raise the dead. I saw Him resurrected. I'm not making it up. I saw it with my own eyes. And I heard it with my own ears. I was there on the mountain when when Jesus was transfigured. I heard the voice of God with my own ears. And then he says the most remarkable things. He says to the church, and you have the word of the prophets made more certain. More certain than what? More certain than what I saw with my eyes. More certain than an eyewitness, you have the Word of God and you can trust this Word even more than those who saw it with their own eyes. That's what he's saying. And then he goes on in the next verse and he says, above all. And again, think about it. Peter's about to die. He has one last message for the church. He could say anything he wants to say. Above all, he might say, make sure you love one another. Above all, make sure that you make prayer a priority. Above all, make sure that you take the gospel outside of the church walls. Above all. But what he said is above all. The thing I want you to remember most is that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. But men, prophecy never had its origin in the will of men. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And it says that Peter says with his dying breath, church, remember, there's something about this one book. There is something different here. This is the word of God for you. This is the word that will train you. This is the word that will strengthen you. Above all, hold this one book as your authority. And then, as he ends his book, he says something most amazing. He says at the end of his book, he says, Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort 
as they do the other scriptures. Do you realize how radical that was? Peter was saying with his last breath, take the letters of Paul and regard them on the same level as the, as the words of Moses. Take them on the same level as the writings of David. Take them on the same level as the writings of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel. Take the letters of Paul and regard them as Scripture, knowing that that has come from God. And the reason Peter wanted the church to know that there was an authority that was greater than an eyewitness, he says in the very next verse, the reason is because false teachers will come. And he says they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. He said there will come some teachers and they will deny Jesus. They will say Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. They will say Jesus didn't really do the powerful things that I've told you. And the only thing that will keep you straight is if you have an authority that is outside of yourself. If you have a written authority that will be true beyond every language, every people group, every culture, every time, unless you have a timeless authority that will be true for all time, you will be sucked in by the destructive heresies. And so he says, take the one book and hold it up as your authority. And friends, that is so true in our culture. Because friends, we live in a culture that wants to create its own truth. But for Christians, we hold the Bible as our authority. And that means you don't have the liberty to believe whatever you want. Because this is our authority. If my beliefs don't stand in line with the Word of God, I need to change my beliefs. You know, I talked to someone who who once said, I've decided to add reincarnation to my Christian beliefs. And so I asked them, show me me that in the Scripture. What are you basing that on? And they couldn't share, share with me from the Scripture. And so they just said something like, well, you have your truth and I have mine. Friends, we don't have that right. If the Bible's our authority, then we need to stand and and develop what the Bible tells us. Now, friends, any of us could misinterpret the Scripture. That's why Dr. Watson uh, encourages us and reminds us that Scripture needs to be read and studied and interpreted in community with the body of Christ. That's why he says in his book, the Bible is not simply yours or mine, it's ours. Thus, when we come to read the Bible, we come not simply as individuals, but as members of the household of God, interpreting the Bible as it was meant to be interpreted in community. Our faith was never meant to be primarily individualistic affair. Reading in community is an act of humility because none of us have all the answers. None of us is a perfect interpreter of the Bible. And so God gives us one another 
so that we can pick up the book and we can study the one book together so we stay on the road that God has outlined for us. You know, every cult that has ever been developed has come because the Scripture was not read in community. You know, this uh, next month is the 40th anniversary of Jonestown. Remember that? There's a special about it just on Friday night on TV. But did you know that Jim Jones started as a Methodist pastor? He did. He served in a Methodist church. But somewhere along the way, he began to disregard the Bible. One of the books I read uh, was uh, A Thousand Lives. Uh, And in that book... It says he began to doubt the authenticity of the Bible. And here's what it led to. In 1973, he began a sermon in San Francisco with these words. For some unexplained set of reasons, I happen to be selected to be God. You may not believe, but I'll tell you, there was never a miracle done in the world lest I did it. I am God the Messiah. And he paused dramatically, stepped away from the pulpit to throw a Bible to the ground and then surveyed his shocked audience and said, see that? I'm still alive, he gloated. And the result of not interpreting the Bible in community was that 900 and some lives were taken. You see, the Bible is given to us to guard our doctrine. Just like the Bible says, to watch your life and doctrine closely so that we don't end up with a massacre like Jonestown. And throughout history, the way the Scripture has been interpreted to help us to stay on the right path has been through creeds. You know, the Scripture has been interpreted uh, through the creeds. Now, here's what Dr. Watson says on that. It says, the Bible tells us a story that is summarized in our historic creeds. It's easy to misinterpret Scripture, even if we have the best of intentions, and the creeds help to make good theological sense of what we read in the Bible. These creedal teachings of the church provide some helpful parameters for our interpretation of Scripture. The Bible is really too large and its subject matter too vast for any one of us to interpret on our own. Therefore, we read with the communion of saints, both past and present. And and he's simply saying that when we take the creeds, such as the Apostles' Creed, It lays the framework with which we interpret the Bible in community. When we read the creed, we're given a summary of the story of the Bible. That's why, occasionally, we recite together the Apostles' Creed. In fact, would you say this with me today? Affirm what we believe. I believe in God the Father Almighty. Maker of heaven and earth. Born of the Virgin Mary. Suffered under the Pontius Pilate. Was crucified and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He 
Father Almighty. Now, what if you had a pastor who said, I don't believe that? Yeah, listen to the words of a United Methodist pastor who says, although the creeds of our denomination pay lip service to the idea that Scripture is authoritative and sufficient both for faith and practice, many of us have moved far beyond that notion in our theological thinking. We have moved far beyond the idea that the Bible is exclusively normative and literally authoritative for our life. What do you think about a pastor who would stand in front of you and say, well, the Apostles' Creed, that's good, but I've moved beyond that. That's happening in our denomination. You know, next Sunday, as part of our academy, uh, Reverend Ed Beal, a retired Methodist pastor who's uh, been worshiping with us at 11 o'clock, is actually going to do a summary of that book uh, in two sessions next uh, Sunday night if, if you're more interested in just learning specifically how our denomination has moved from our scriptural foundation to where we are today. Now, friends, what this says... Since we disregard the basic creeds of the church and disregard the authority of the scripture, it is only a matter of time until we disregard its moral principles as well. And again, we see that in 2 Peter. When Peter talks about the, those false teachers that deny the sovereign Lord, you can read in 2 Peter chapter 2, this is the words, some of the words he uses to describe them. That they're full of shameful ways and greed and corrupt desires and reveling in pleasure and eyes full of adultery and lustful desires and slaves of depravity. Because friends, bad theology leads to bad morality. And that happened in Peter's day, and it happens in our day. You know, Lincoln was right in that quote we looked at a couple of weeks ago when he talked about the Bible, and he said, but for it, we could not know right from wrong. In the Scripture, God gives us certain moral standards that we're to live by. And he doesn't do it to be burdensome. He does it so that we could have a full and abundant life. So that we could experience the life of God. That's his passion. And he gives us the regulations, the guidelines, so that we can live in that power. But what happens if we ignore it? Friends, again, if my behavior doesn't match up with the Word of God, I need to change my behavior. Because the Bible is our authority. And so how does that play out in our denomination, in our current crisis, when it appears that... um, human sexuality, and particularly homosexuality, becomes this crisis point. But again, knowing that it's not about homosexuality. 
It's about the foundation and do we trust the Bible? You know, when when we look at Scripture, the Bible nowhere speaks positively or even neutrally about same-sex love. And that's not my statement. That actually comes uh, from Dr. Uh, Luke Timothy Johnson, who's a professor of New Testament at Candler Theological School. And here's what he says. He says, the Bible nowhere speaks positively or even neutrally about same-sex love. The exegetical situation is straightforward. We know what the text says. I think it important to state clearly that we do, in fact, reject the straightforward commands of Scripture and appeal instead to another authority when we declare that same-sex unions can be holy and good. And what exactly is that authority? We appeal explicitly to the weight of our own experience and the experience thousands of others have witnessed to, which tells us that to claim our own sexual orientation is in fact to accept the way in which God created us. By so doing, we explicitly reject as well the premises of the scriptural statements condemning homosexuality. Now, hear me, friends. It's not about homosexuality. I am not here to to preach against homosexuality. God calls us to love all people, no matter who they are. But the issue is, will the Bible be our authority? And here's a professor of New Testament that is honest enough to say that we openly reject the authority of the Bible, and choose to live by another authority. And that authority, he says, is our own experience. Friends, I just want you to know, that is a dangerous place to be. Because if our experience becomes our authority, then friends, we have become our own God. And we decide, based upon our experience, what is right and wrong. And when we begin to base our authority on our own experience, then inevitably we end up with a God that looks just like us. And friends, I would say that's a dangerous place to be. And the only solution is to take Peter's dying words and hold up one book as our authority. Or as our memory verse reminds us, that the Scripture is God-breathed. Now let me tell you, I don't know what's going to happen in our denomination Uh, We're going to have a meeting in a few weeks uh, uh, where we're going to talk about what's happening and how that might affect our local church. But I know this. That no matter what happens in this local church, we are going to continue to keep our focus on loving God and loving all people. No matter what their sexual orientation, no matter where they're coming from, no matter how steeped uh, away from God they might be, we are going to love 
all people. And in so doing, we are going to see God beginning to transform the world. And friends, we're going to do that by keeping the Bible as our authority. That's why here in just a few moments, our third graders are going to come in and we're going to give them a Bible. Because that's the authority. And we want them to know, even at a young age, this, this is where you find life. And so we're excited to do that. We're going to uh, move into a prayer time. As we move into our prayer time, uh, Greg brought some more strips up here for the uh, prison prayer time. Uh, And if any of you are willing to pray, even right here this morning for that Kairos weekend, if you just write your name on that, Uh, Then they'll make a chain of those to show the prisoners. Uh, Next week, uh, Christine will have some for her Kairos weekend. And we'll ask you to do that again. Uh, So some of you, if you would come and just make that a prayer station and pray uh, for the prison. Friends, our prayer team members are going to go to their uh, uh, positions. And uh, during this time, uh, you're just welcome to go to them and pray. Our uh, ushers have prayer cards that they can give you if you'd like one and and pens. And again, we just invite you to use this next five minutes or so just to be in prayer. So feel free to go to a prayer station or to go to our prayer team members. But let's let this be a time of quieting our hearts before God. Matt, will you lead us in a song as we do that?